Hello and welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm the Digital Engagement Director, Chloe Roges. We're so excited you're joining us for week 13 of Masterclass, the Gospel of Mark, as we learn about the coming of the Kingdom of God. Jesus came to us with the future in mind. He always knew the purpose of his earthly ministry, and he knew the ultimate victory would be won on the cross. But what will happen afterward? Will Jesus come back, and when? What will happen in those days? Scripture holds the answers, and now let's search for them together. Good morning again. Uh, I, I didn't say this earlier. Thanks so much. I know some of you have asked about our vacation, and it was fantastic. Uh, I had a battle with the sun, and I won. I didn't get burned at all, so that's awesome. Uh, for a pale a white guy, that's good. Uh, and then I didn't get on Rebecca's nerves too bad the whole week, and uh, that's a win as well. So uh, it was relaxing, at least for me, and um, and I'm, but we're glad to be back, glad to be here uh, this morning and to be able to open up God's Word together and be with you guys and to, uh, to worship together here at Rolling Hills Columbia. You, uh, we missed y'all being away. Uh, it was good, but it was also a great reminder of just how much we love being with the church and being with you guys. And so uh, it's good to be back. This morning, we continue in our series uh, through, the, through the Gospel of Mark called Masterclass. And uh, since Easter, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark. And, and we're in chapter 13 this morning and studying the teachings and the, and the life of Jesus, his miracles, his interaction with people, so that, uh, so that our lives look, look more like his life, that we, we begin to live and to act and our actions and our attitudes more like him. And this week, as I was preparing, I thought back to about 20 years ago, when I was fresh out of college, which is sad to even think about that that was when that happened. Um, I don't feel old enough for that to be the case, uh, but the gray hair does say that, um, that I am old enough. But I, I was thinking back that 20 years ago, fresh out of college, uh, you know, I had a handful of bills to pay, all the freedom in the world of single, all the freedom in the world, uh, and how I knew everything back then. Anybody else remember that point in your life? I mean, at, at really, I felt like I was an expert on work, on, on the world, and on politics, on marriage. Again, I was single, but I was an expert on marriage, uh, on raising kids. Just ask me. I had all of the answers. I probably, at that point in my life, could have been a consultant for NASA uh, if they would have needed somebody to consult. Uh, but over the past 20 years, and I know that some of you have had similar experience there's been a handful of moments in my life, maybe every day in my life, where I realize how little I really know about anything. How little I know about the world and politics, how little I know about marriage, how little I know about raising kids, and certainly uh, I know nothing that I can offer to NASA in any uh, manner of speaking. And this morning as we turn to chapter 13 of Mark, this is 
we find here Jesus's what, what, what's called the Olivet Discourse. It's where Jesus has a conversation with a group of the disciples on the side of the Mount of Olives. And, and it's a humbling passage. Some scholars and, and, and teachers say that this is probably the most difficult passage, the most difficult chapter in the book of Mark, if not all of the New Testament. One of the most difficult passages to, to, to cipher through, to understand. And one, one pastor, Kent Hughes, says this. It's because of the rich nature and the prophetic language that Jesus uses. That virtually every verse has multiple allusions to both the Old Testament and other Jewish apostolic literature. The fact is that we've yet to find a scholar who can perfectly unravel the knotty problems that we find in the Olivet Discourse. The study of this passage requires the proper humility and the willingness to admit that we don't know everything. And so three things right on the start. It's a tough passage. I'm not going to try to tell you when Jesus is coming back at the end of this one. Okay, I'm not, That's not the point of today's passage. First, so first, it's a tough passage. Second, I'm going to go ahead and admit that I don't know everything. And lastly, I picked the wrong week to go on vacation. Like I should have gone this week. Anyway, I'm just, that was a joke. But in these 37 verses, what Jesus does is he talks to James and to John and to Peter, the inner circle of his group of disciples, and also Peter's brother Andrew on the side of the Mount of Olives. It may be the hardest text, one of the hardest texts in the book of Mark and maybe the Old and the New Testament. But what Jesus calls his disciples to is pretty clear as you read these 37 verses. I, I, he's not calling them to, to, to create precise timetables or meticulous charts to tell when he's coming back. What he really is calling them to as you read through the passage is clear. You see it in verse 5. He says, watch out. That you may not be deceived. He says in verse 9, you, you must be on guard. In verse 23, he says, be on guard. In, in verse 33, be on guard and be alert. Verse 35, he says, therefore, keep watch. And in verse 37, he says, he says it again, keep watch. And to us, to his disciples and to us, past, present, and future, if you have your worship, God, you can fill this in. To past, present, and future, Jesus is calling his disciples to remain faithful, to remain hopeful, and to keep watch. As we turn in this passage over the next couple of minutes, as we work through Mark chapter 13, that's what we're going to focus on is what it means to keep watch. Before we dive in, I'm going to ask you to pray with me and before we, we jump through this. Jesus, we thank you for today. Thank you for the songs that we sing and the reality as we do sing them that we're reminded that you are our only hope. God, without you, we have no hope. And, and God, as we come to this passage that is a difficult one, God, we come humbly to your word because, God, it is our authority. You are our authority and your word is an authority over us. We're not an authority over it. And we pray that in humility you would teach us and that we would hear what you wanted your disciples to hear on the side of the Mount of Olives that day. That we know that the message of that is true for us even today. And so we come as your servants to listen and to learn from you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Again, if you have your worship guide right there at the beginning, it says, 
keeping watch. We're going to go through three things of what it means to keep watch. And keeping watch is an instruction from the very beginning. It's an instruction to stay awake. It's an instruction to stay awake. This whole discourse, this whole conversation comes from a question that John and, and James and Paul and Andrew have to Jesus. So you see in verse 1, they're, they're coming out of the temple. They've just had a kind of an interaction with some of the, the Pharisees in, in chapter 12. They're coming out of the temple. And, and as they leave the temple, one of the disciples says to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see this great building? Jesus replies as they're walking out. As you see this great building, no stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. In verse 3, it says that Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, and Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when these things will happen and what will be the sign that they're about to be fulfilled. So Jesus has these handful of run-ins with the, the Pharisees over the last little bit as he's kind of turned that corner. We've talked about that a couple weeks ago. He turned this corner, and everything from, from that point is, is Jesus moving into Jerusalem where he's going to lay his life down as a sacrifice for our sins. And he, again, he, he walks into the temple, and he has these interactions with the Pharisees, and they question his authority. And, and uh, Jake, Pastor Jacob said last week that no one shares his authority with anyone. And so Jesus, he, Jesus is there. He's having these, these conversations with those guys. Guys, and they're leaving out of that. The disciples really don't understand all of what's going on. They don't understand that really in just a few days from that moment, he's going to lay his life down. He's going to offer his life as a sacrifice and be crucified for the sins of the world. And they don't get it, but maybe they are beginning to sense that something's going on with Jesus. Maybe, maybe his shoulders are just a little bit low with the weight of what's coming. And so they decide they think they want to cheer him up. And so they talk about this building. Because the temple is, it's an enormous building. It's what is, what's built there. It was 46 years in construction, right? We had some, we're doing some work at our house and we had some people come give us a quote this week for some things that we're doing. And they told us it's going to be 12 to 16 weeks before the thing, before we would have the windows that we were ordering this week. And I was like, 12 to 16, that's like an, an age from now. 46 years the temple had been built. And it was almost close. It was close to completion even as they're walking out that day. It's not even fully complete. This one Jewish historian that, that lived during this time, a guy named Josephus, says that talks about the, this temple and the, how big and beautiful it was. He says the exterior of the, of the building wanted nothing that could astound either the mind or the eye. For being covered on all sides with massive plated plates of gold, the sun was no sooner up then it radiated so fiery a flash that a person straining to a person's straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as from solar rays. Jesus rocks their world as they walk out of this building, and they're, they're just trying to make light conversation and maybe cheer him up about how beautiful and how big and awesome this building is. And he turns, he turns it over on there, turns that over and says, none of these stones are going to be on top of another. Every one of these are going to be gone, and, and, and this building will be completely demolished. And so a little later, as they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, as they're sitting there overlooking the temple, and you can see as the sun is setting, it's a beautiful scene. If, if, as, as just kind of painting the picture, he sees, the, sees the, the, the temple there. And they ask him the question, 
When is this going to happen? And a side note, if you think about the Mount of Olives, this is the place that Zephaniah or Zechariah chapter 14 tells us that, that Jesus is going to come back. It's the place where Jesus is sitting is the very place where when at the end of times Jesus comes back to gather his people, this is the place where he's going to be. So this is the, as, as we're talking about the end times in this passage in chapter 13, Jesus is sitting in the very place where he'll return to at the end of time. And Jesus speaks to the small group of disciples whose heads are spinning and they're confused. And he speaks to them as a shepherd speaks to his sheep, as a pastor speaks to the people that he loves. And as we work through it, we've got to remember that this is what Jesus is telling. He's giving them instructions, but they're not reprimands. They're instructions. They're they're loving, care-filled instructions on what it means to stay awake, to be watchful, and to stay stay on your guard. And so there's two things from the instructions to stay awake that I want us to see before we move on. The first is that that it's a humbling. To stay awake means to be humble because no one knows the day or the time. If you go to the end of the passage, Jesus clearly says, and this is why anytime you hear somebody say, this is when it's coming back, I thought it would be tacky to list all the, all the different places where people have said that this is the date that Jesus is coming back, and it obviously hadn't happened, so I'm not going to list all of those. But there have been lots of people who have said that they knew when Jesus was coming back, and he didn't, right? Because he tells us this, verse 32, but about the day and the hour, no one knows. I don't think that it can be any clearer. Not even the angels in the heavens, nor the Son, but only the Father. Verse 33, be on guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man who's going away and he leaves his house and he puts his servants in charge, each with their own assignment and task, and he tells the one at the door to keep watch. To stay awake means to be humble because we're not in control. It's a humbling instruction because we're not in control of when it comes back. We're not in control of that moment when he's, when he's coming back to gather his church. It's humbling also because right here, right now, God has given, he's, he has a purpose for our lives. The fact that he has not come back means, that the, and the fact that you have breath in your lungs today means that he has a purpose for your life. As We are those servants that he's left in charge that he talks about in, the, in these verses. And and right now, he's given us in this stretch of history to make the most out of the time that he's given us for his glory and for his kingdom. And so rather than speculating about when he's going to come back, we humbly submit to his perfect plan and his timing. And at the same time, not only is it to be humble, but it's to be hopeful because there is a day when he'll come back. There is a day when he'll come back. Hopeful because we know that he's coming. And if if there's one, there's a handful of things that I think that we really need to grasp this morning. But this is one of them that there's that that if we get this, it'll change the way that we think. It'll change the way that we live. It'll change the anxiety and the worry and the and the desperate and, and, and the depression and the frantic ways that we operate in our culture. It'll change the fullest ways that we attach our hopes to to people and to politicians and to to power and positions and possessions and all of those things because we've forgotten that He's coming back. And all of this is secondary to the fact that He's coming back. Our hope is not in the things that we have. It's not in the people that we're around. It's in the person of Jesus and the work that he had on the cross and the fact that he's coming back to get his church. There's hope for us that he's going to return. 
It's going to gather his people. And that day, we don't know the moment, but we do know that it will be. And that moment draws nearer every second of every day. And so the first instruction is to stay awake. It's humbling, but it's also hope-filled because we know that he's coming back. But secondly, we keep watch. Keeping watch means that we're aware. It means that we, it means being aware, that aware of, of the fact that there's things that are going to happen. A couple years ago, I'd been in a wreck and I had some work being done on my vehicle. And so had to rent, had to go to whatever enterprise or whatever and get a car for a week or so so that I could get this work done on my vehicle. And I was leaving the, the place and right at, pulling out of the parking lot of this uh, enterprise, it was like the, the car was, did something. It was kind of weird. But I was like, oh, whatever. And, and at every light down the road that I was driving, every light, there was, this car felt like it was going to fall apart. And so I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I don't want to be blamed for whatever's happening on this thing. So I turned around, went back to the enterprise, and I walked in. And the guy at the registry, he's like, oh, he kind of laughed at me. He's like, oh, yeah, it's totally normal for that kind of car to, to do that. I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. First, I will never buy one of these. Secondly, it would have been nice for you to let me know before I left. A little heads up would have been great that every time you accelerate from a light, this car is going to sound like it's going to fall apart. Would have been great. It left me with a little bit of stress, a little bit less stress, saved me a little bit of time. I'd have been like, no, I'm not taking that one to do something else. But a simple heads up would have changed everything, right? When we come to this passage, God is, Jesus is giving us that heads up, that warning, that letting us know of what's coming so that we can be aware. Because keeping watch means being aware. Jesus is helping us. The first thing that he wants us to be aware of is that there will be deception. If you go to chapter, the, the, chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come claiming I am he, and he will deceive many. And then you will hear, wars, hear of wars and rumors of wars, but don't be alarmed. Such things will happen but the end is still to come, and nations will rise against nations, and kingdoms against kingdoms, and earthquakes in various places, and famines. But these are the birth, beginnings of birth pains. You skip to verse 21. It says, And at that time, anyone who says, Look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it, for the false Messiah. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive as many as possible, as many as possible even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. He gives us the warning. He makes us aware that there's going to be deception that comes. That in, the, in these times, we don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know when he's coming back. But between the time that he leaves and the time that he comes back, between the end of the age, there's going to be deception. And again, you've got to think in this, in this pastoral conversation that Jesus, loving his disciples, he wants them to be aware. He wants them to know that there's, there's going to be people and things that are going to try to take them off, to lead them astray, to lead them away from the truth. He's letting them know that wars and natural disasters are going to happen. But that's not the end. It's a part of living in a broken world that's broken by sin. It's the, it's the birth pains. It's the signpost that there is an end coming, but it's not the end in and of itself. They're reminders that there's an end. It's not that we celebrate those things, but in the moment we're not shocked by them because we know that Jesus said they would happen. And even in the process, we're aware of them, and we know that these are places that we can, be, we can hang our hat in the hopes that he's coming back because he's told us these things would happen. 
rather than being deceived into thinking that this is the end in and of themselves. It's been a ploy of the enemy from the very beginning to deceive God's people. He was a deceiver in the garden, and he's a deceiver today. In John 10, 10, Jesus says about him that he's a thief that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Peter writes, and he says, be sober-minded. The enemy is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour. Corinthians, Paul writes this, that, that, and no wonder, he says, that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. The reality is that we're deceived so often because we believe believable lies. We believe lies that are, that are just a little bit of a, a turn from the truth. The reality is a lot of us think that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion and what it looks like is horror movies, but that's not the way that it looks. They're just little bit of, a little bit of a deception. It's, it, it most often looks like something good. It looks like something that would draw. It's the resemblance of a truth. The deception comes, it's like, it's like costume jewelry or, 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 or counterfeit money. It looks so close to the real thing that it almost seems like the real thing. But it leads us astray. The second thing that he wants us to know, he wants us to be aware of, is that there's going to be suffering. He says it again in verse 9. He says, you must be on your guard Listen, he says, you will be handed, and he's speaking directly to the disciples in this case, but you will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues, in the places that they should feel comfortable in at home. Those are the places that are going to become, that, that they'll be outcast in. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. The gospel must first be preached to all nations. And whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what you will say. Just say whatever is given to you in the time, for it will not be you that's, that is speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, it says, Brothers will betray brothers to death, and fathers, a father his child, and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death, and everyone will hate you because of me. Now he's talking directly to this small group of disciples who in the coming days, will experience all of the things that he's telling them. They will be, they'll be brought before governors. They will, they, will, they will experience the trials and the sufferings of, of being flogged. Many of them will, will lose their lives in the coming days and weeks and months and years after this conversation with Jesus. But he's giving them the heads up that they're going to face the suffering and the adversity. I'm not an athlete. I, I, I just uh, act, play like one on TV. That's stupid. Um, but I've played on a couple of different, you know, church league softball teams or I rode the pine on them. And um, I played against really good teams. And, and you, I, I watch sports. I love, I love sports, even though I'm not an athlete. And, and you, what you see in sports is the teams that win, the teams that are champions, right, that make it to the championships and win those championships are teams that know how to face adversity. They know how in the middle of their in, in the middle of the in the middle of the, the, the game or the match or whatever it is that they're playing, they, they know how to handle the adversity. And the reason why they know how to handle it is because they anticipate adversity. They know that adversity is going to come. They know that there's going to be a moment that things are not going to go the way that they planned them in practice, and they're going to have to face that and they're going to have to adjust. And the reason why they're champions is because they can face that adversity. And they can adjust to do whatever needs to be done. They can face suffering. They can face those trials. The problem is for us, 
a lot of times we get sidelined the moment things come about that don't perfectly fit the script that we've written for ourselves. And we get sidelined the moment that we face some kind of suffering or things that go, it doesn't go the way that we wanted it to go or the way that we thought it should go. And, and it's truly in our culture today, there's, it's epidemic proportions. And I've, I've kind of gone back and forth as to whether or not to share this. I'm a professional eavesdropper. And so, like, I didn't play sports, but I know how to eavesdrop. And my ploy is I just stare right at you while you're having conversations because nobody will ever think that I'm eavesdropping if I'm staring right at you while you're talking. But this past week, I was working on the sermon, and I was in Nashville, and I just had to, I had to pull off at a, at a Starbucks to, to do some work there. And so I was sitting there, and, and I had my headphones in. I was really trying not to pay attention to this conversation that these college students were having right next to me. But this young lady was having this conversation with her friend, and she was losing her mind about an argument that she had had with her roommate. And she spoke a different language, too, which is really tough when you're trying to <laughs> eavesdrop. You're like, ah, could you speak English? I can't understand what you're saying. She got on the phone with her mom, I think, and she's fussing in another language, and this is awesome. And, but she's, I mean, she's crying. And at one point she says about this argument that she has with her roommate, she's like, I'm going to have to go see my therapist about this. And I thought, really? It's an argument with your roommate. You probably won't talk to that person in two years. But the script that she had written for herself is that there's no problems, there's no suffering in her life. And as soon as there's a roadblock, everything fell apart in the Starbucks, in Green Hills. I think about it at the moment, I'm thinking, hey, listen, I don't think there's a problem with going to a counselor. Y'all have heard me say, I've, I'll go again. I've gone to see, I have, a, I have a counselor that I go and see and will do again. I have no problems with that. But the reality is so much of our lives, as soon as we face any kind of turmoil, we completely lose it because we forget what Jesus' words were. Listen, John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus himself says, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace because in this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus is telling us to keep watch. Because And be aware that you're going to face sufferings, you're going to face troubles, and in walking in obedience and faithfulness to God, you will be opposed, probably by people who you love and are closest to you. You're going to face trials. Things are not going to go your way. Be aware so you don't get sidelined by it. Because listen to what he says in verse 13. He says, everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute. Lastly, the thing that I want us to see when he's making, he's making sure that we're aware is that we're aware that his word, that God's word will endure. Verse 31, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Aware that everything that's going on, all of these trials and things that are, they're momentary struggles and they, they, they match so little the comparison of what they're preparing us for is what it says in, in God's word that, that, that these momentary trials are pale in comparison to what they're preparing us for for an eternity with him. And so we face them with hope. We face them knowing and, and enduring through them knowing that, that God's word never fails and his promises will endure forever and we can trust in his word. 
So keeping watch means staying awake. It means being aware of the suffering and the, and the, things, and the, and the deception that all of us will face. And lastly, keeping watch remain, means remaining active. It means remaining active. And faith in Christ is not passive. True, listen, I, 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 you'll never hear me say that we earn our salvation. Right? Salvation is by grace through faith in, in him alone. It's not, not something that we do on our own. But we're rescued from our sin, redeemed and restored by the, to new life by the cross of Christ. And it leads us to an active trusting in him. Actively trusting an active faith. And it's not watching for the end and, and hoping to be faithful in the end, but watching and faithful till the end, every moment between now and the moment that he returns, there's an active faith. So it's so easy to get frustrated or, or so easy to get frustrated in the moment and forget what we're, we're headed towards as a rescue and, and being redeemed and being with him forever. But it's also easy to get fascinated and to bo- fascinated with the end or with with the fact that he is coming and, and get so fixated on the fact that we can figure out this and this and this is the day or this is the time. And to borrow somebody else's phrase that we focus so much on heaven that we're no earthly good. But an active faith is trusting him now in the moment that he has us. And what God's called us to is a life of courageous, faithful obedience to him today. You've heard me say this before, no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, and no matter the cost. An active, courageous, faithful obedience to Christ today, no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, no matter the cost. That Jesus, Remember Jesus' words, it says that, that he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Eugene Peterson says that the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction. That it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not just, it's not just running for a minute and tuckering out before it's over. I, I've said this before. What makes me sad, and, and it also serves as both a warning and a reminder to all of us, is the number of personal friends and pastors that I know, not to mention the ones that have, have large platforms that have fallen away, but personal friends and pastors that have fallen away, walked away from their faith. And to use a phrase, another, to borrow somebody else's phrase, a guy named Robert McQuilkin, the pastor who did faithfully endure to the end, he says that they ended before they finished. My prayer for myself and for my family, for you, is that we would stand firm to the end. That we would bear fruit of an active faith till the end. That our faith in Christ, our love for Christ, our, cur- our courageous obedience to Christ would continue to grow stronger and deeper until the end. And that we would not finish before the end. Hope is that for all of us, we would not pull up short of the finish line and finish before we end. That we would remain active. Not only is it an active faith or an active trusting, but it also is an active proclaiming. Active proclaiming the gospel must be first preached to all nations is what Jesus says. You know, in a passage that really has so much prophetic language and it's, it's talking about end times, it's easy to miss this one phrase that Jesus makes so clearly that is such a clear reminder to us that we have a calling on our lives. 
to actively trust him, but actively proclaim his gospel. Because the end, he says, will not come before the gospel is proclaimed to all nations. And for a handful of us, what that means, a handful of the, us in this room, it means that you're that it, packing up and following God's call to full-time missions somewhere other than this place. For most of us, most of the folks in this room, it means participating in local and national and, and international missions. And hopefully in the next 12 months, if, if things go well, I'll be able to go back to Moldova or go to Moldova or, or back to the Amazon. In the next 12 months, I'm going to one of those two. To spend a week in, in, in those places where we serve with Justice Mercy International over the next, uh, over the next year. And, and I would love for there to be a big old group of Columbia people that go, Columbia campus folks that go with me on whatever trip I go on. But regardless, there's going to be opportunities for you to go to either one of those places. There's going to be opportunities to go to Atlanta on national trips and Phoenix on national trips and maybe some other places that are opening up that we're exploring right now. But there's also chances for you to, to do local missions in this area. The reality is that all of us have a place to serve and to proclaim the gospel. And for all of us, no matter what, actively proclaiming the gospel to the nations looks like meeting the people that live on our street. It looks like meeting the, 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 the people on the sideline, the, the parents on the sidelines of our kids' teams, students. It looks like meeting the kids in your, in your classroom. Here's a pretty sobering reality of what, what happens in the neighborhoods of Spring Hill and Columbia and even farther south and in the north. The reality is that the nations live right here. That going to the nations isn't necessary, necessarily a trip that you'll have to go to. Legitimately, they live right here. And the gospel that Christ has called us to share and to, and to proclaim and to carry is carrying it to our neighbors and to the kids that live right down the street and go to school with, to go to school with our kids and play on sports teams with our kids. So it's proclaiming, it's actively proclaiming, actively trusting, because keeping watch means remaining active. So the last question there for us is, what does it mean, or how do we remain active, or how do we keep watch? And if you've been around me for even just a little short amount of time, you know that I'm going to say what, one of these things, you've probably already filled it in this first the first thing that the way that we keep watch, the way that we do what God's what Christ is calling us to in, in Mark chapter 13 is first and foremost by daily time with God in word and prayer. You want to know what it means to be aware, to keep watch, to be on guard the way that Christ says? It's by reading God's word and spending time in prayer. I read it again in another report in an article this week. After a decade-long research effort on discipleship and what actions bring real spiritual growth in individuals, it was clear again that the number one predictor of spiritual growth in an individual is reading God's Word. The number one, number one predictor of spiritual growth in an individual is their time that they spend reading God's Word. It's also the best predictor of a child who grew up in the church becoming a spiritually healthy young adult. Reading God's word is central. 
And so I say it this way. Simply put, keeping watch, being on guard, guarding your heart and your mind, guarding the hearts and minds of those that you care about and that you love and that you're responsible for. The number one thing that we can do is spending time with God, with God in his word and in prayer. The number one thing that we can do. Daily, spending time with God's word and in prayer. You want, to know some, you want to know that something's counterfeit? Then you have to know the real thing. So spend time reading God's word. You want to endure to the end and finish well? Start now by preparing to finish well, by reading God's word. You want to face suffering and sorrow? You want to face the deception and not be deceived? you got to build your life on the firm foundation and read God's word. Daily, reading God's word and spending time in prayer. Secondly, weekly, spending time in worship. The people of God, we give our minds attention and our hearts affection to the creator because he alone is worthy. That's why we gather here and we sing these songs to be reminded. It's the practice, it's the opportunity to together celebrate and be reminded that he is God. All that he's done and all that he's doing to be reminded as, as I may be going through a moment of suffering and sorrow and I can look over at you as you're celebrating and singing these songs and know that maybe you've gone through something and you're celebrating and so I can celebrate because you're celebrating. You're, we mutually encourage each other as we sing. We all point each other to Christ, celebrating him weekly spending time in worship and regularly spending time in community with other believers. Because we've said it so many times that we, it's, we believe that growth happens in circles more than it does in rows. And so we circle up with other believers in community groups and we'll be going back to community. We'll, we've taken off for the summer and in the mid-August, early, late August, we'll, we'll start community groups back up. But that's a time when, when we, we have to have those times with other people and we'll talk about serving and in just a moment, we're going we're gonna to wrap this up, but we have our core team fair that's being set up right outside, in, uh, outside the doors where we'll have some time for us to go and find a place to serve and find a place where, where we use the gifts and talents and the abilities. That's places that we spend time and we become aware and we, become, we stay in, on watch and on guard by serving others and by participating in missions, which we've already talked about. But those are regularly pra regular practices of the people of God that keep us aware, that keep us moving forward, that keep us from being deceived, that keep us on guard. I'm going to invite the band to come back up, and we're going to sing just one song in response. And also, if the ushers want to come forward. Because another way that we stay on guard is, is, is the way that we is worshiping not just through the songs that we sing, but we worship in the way that we give. I've said that, I say this every week, that, that worshiping and giving and, and giving is a way of, of declaring outwardly our trust in him over our trust in things and possessions and money and those, and those kind of things. And so Christ has called us to be cheerful givers. It tells us in his word to be cheerful givers. And he's not doing that because he wants to take our money. He doesn't need it. He's a cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need what you give. But it's a reminder. It's a worship. It's a worshipful reminder that he's our God and not our possessions, not our money and our resources. So it's another way that we stay on guard by giving. We worship through the songs that we sing. 
So I'm going to pray for the offering and we'll pray for the for this closing time of worship. And, and this is a time for you to, to worship the way that God is moving in your heart. So if you want to stand, that's you're more than welcome to stand after the, the basket's passed. If you need to sit and worship through and, and worship in reflection, that's great as well. But this is your time of reflection and, and kind of just spending time with the Lord in response, however, however you need to spend time with him. Let's pray together. Jesus. We thank you for all that you're doing and the fact that we get to be a part of it. We thank you for what you're doing this morning. We pray that, God, as you have called us to be those who are aware and alert to keep watch, you've given us loving instructions on what that looks like from your word. We pray that, God, in, in the chaos of our world, there would be clarity from your word as to what it means to walk, to be watchful and on guard to be your people, your church, who walks faithfully and that endures to the end. Because you know, we know what your word says, that those who endure to the end will be saved. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're glad you spent some time with us today. Have a great week.